no one is, 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 is more locked in. From Thursday to Monday, no one is more locked into the NFL than First and Pod. Hosted by Danny Parkins and Andrew Filipponi. All right, thanks for checking out First and Pod. As always, subscribing, rating, reviewing, sending it off to your friends. Let people know that this NFL podcast is still growing in the offseason, which we very much appreciate. Pony uh, will be back from paternity leave on next week's episode. And we actually like have real football stuff happening with training camps and injuries. And before you know it, we'll be doing it uh, twice a week again after Sunday night football and after Thursday night football, which is uh, our bread and butter every team, every week, every game. But as you know, we've been bringing on our friends in the offseason. So staying in the Odyssey family, I knew him back in KC. Now he does afternoons, 4 to 7 Eastern on the Team 980 out in D.C., also the Tate Command podcast. He covers the commanders in our nation's capital. What up, Craig Hoffman? What's up, Danny Parkins? Good to be with you, man. Yeah, man, you too. I appreciate it. Uh, Your team has had some news. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I don't think people are familiar. This has not been boring. Um, No. I don't even remember when Donald Sterling was forced to sell there being a full-blown pep rally and like borderline parade, uh, even though he's probably the worst owner of a professional sports team of our lifetime. But Dan Snyder's certainly in the team photo, and that celebration when the sale went through was wild. Were you there? Were you on the air? What was your exposure to the celebratory sale of an ownership transfer? Yes and yes. I was there uh, as our stations were the ones throwing the party. Uh, and then I was actually the only show there on, which was kind of weird. Uh, very because, cool, though. Yeah, it was very cool. But like we made the choice because like, so we have so this is very inside baseball, inside radio. But like we have two stations in our building. We have 106.7 The Fan and then the station I'm on, the Team 980. And we kind of made the decision to let the party be the party. And I was going to be there kind of doing the show in the background in part. So our morning show could get up, which is simulcast on both stations could get up on the stage and go bleep Dan Snyder. And so I was kind of doing the show in the background, feeding off the energy and getting to feel and experience all of it while also not like broadcasting to the crowd. So it was a very, kind of a very interesting thing that only I was experiencing in that way. But the energy was incredible. And, you know, I'll, I'll see your Donald Sterling and raise you a couple of congressional investigations, uh, you know, an ongoing federal investigation. And uh, I, I think Dan's right there. Um, but I, I think what you see and Danny, I'll, I'll add this color to this as well, is like I'm out there at training camp today. First day for fans. There's almost 3000 people at Commander's training camp at 9 a.m. on a Thursday. Like last year, Nikki Javala from The Washington Post posted a photo. There were two people in it. This year, one, they have actual bleachers as opposed to just fans bringing chairs and sitting on a hill. And two, you went from two to well over 2,000. And like that is a great encapsulation of this sleeping giant energy that I think a lot of people were saying was here, but weren't 100% sure. And now it's like, did we actually underestimate how much of the fan base, how much of the city is still interested in this team and had really been driven away by the horrendous, impossible to describe how bad it was ownership of Daniel Snyder. Well, yeah, I mean, right, like 40 years ago, 30 years ago, it was in the team photo for best fan base in the NFL, like certainly most rabid, you know what I mean? It was, it was sure. certainly certainly in the discussion, um, but the team's going to be 
awful. So what's the it, what, what's the expectation, or, or are they not going to be awful? I don't think they're going to be awful. Like it, it's funny because everyone says they're going to be awful, and I'm like, yo, they went eight eight and one last year, and I think they're better this year. Now their schedule's tough and all that kind of stuff, and you know who knows with health luck and maybe Sam Howell has got, actually got awful and or the offensive line is got awful and those questions yeah. that a lot of us are looking at going I think they can work around that like I th- I have a lot of trust in Eric Bieniemy and we can get into that if you want to um but I like I think this defense it could be I mean they should be top half they could very easily be top 10 if Chase Young somehow finds form they could be top 5 and at that point you're you're talking about a team that's going to be pretty competitive week in and week out they've got great skill position players and they have a coordinator who runs an actual 2023 NFL offense compared to the absolute garbage offense that they were dealing with the last couple of years with Scott Turner here. So, I mean, they were 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one with Carson Wentz last year playing half the games, and he was terrible. So I, I tend to think they're, at the very least, not going to be awful. I'm not telling you they're all of a sudden like a sleeper 12-win team. They've, they, by the way, you want to talk about the history? They haven't won 11 games since 91, by far the longest streak in the league. So, but I, I do not think that they will be awful this year. And I think the other thing, Danny, is the combination of the hope from ownership. Like, hey, there's a ceiling somewhere out there that's higher than whatever Dan Snyder could get us to. And Howell is very talented, even if very unproven. And there's just a kind of the irrational fan base hope stuff that happens there. Um, I, I think that combination of quarterback and ownership being, you know, something things with upside has created a, a really cool for once non-toxic and very negative fan base. So that's interesting, like, because the the pictures go viral. It's a huge stadium, and there's often, like, more Eagles fans there than Washington fans, right? Or more Giants fans. They're like, are you expecting sellouts? Uh, Week one is pretty much already sold out. Now, and I do actually think week one, they get a little bit lucky here in multiple facets. Uh, one, the team they're facing is the Cardinals, and they stink, so they could start 1-0 very easily. Uh, one of the few teams that I definitively say uh, is worse than than Washington yeah. you know, at basically every position group. Um, and they get them early before Kyler's back, and you know people are split on Kyler, but no Kyler's uh, definitely, definitely easier. But two, like that fan base isn't big and doesn't travel. Um, so they actually have a chance to sell out that stadium in Burgundy and gold with home fans and build some momentum. Cause if people here around town, like, yeah, I was there week one. It was awesome. Well, let's go to week two. Then you see week two is a huge test. It's Buffalo, which is the exact opposite of Arizona in every way they're good and they travel. So like, let's see what FedEx field looks week like. Three. Week two. The second week game. three. Yeah. Second home game. Yeah. Second yeah. Sorry. Game, yeah. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, but I, I do, expect much much better fan turnout and again like there's 3,000 people at practice today like that's that's crazy for a Thursday and I I would expect they probably get four or five thousand on Saturday when when it's the first weekend practice all right that's very interesting so you said Sam Howell is very talented yes um (laughs) yeah arm strength is fantastic um he's got kind of a, a gamer mentality that like he's got the moxie that you look for in a starting quarterback it only gets you so far but like if you don't have it i don't think you can play at the in the nfl he's got it um i think he's he's pretty smart kid um he seems to pick things up quickly not making a lot of the same mistakes twice ultimately he's got to execute in the nfl and you know be accurate and be consistent his footwork has been inconsistent um, but I mean, the North Carolina stuff is kind of weird. His, his, I always forget he played three years. So his sophomore year, um, his middle year at Carolina, he's got multiple NFL wide receivers, multiple NFL running backs with him. 
and people are mocking him in the first round for the following year. All those guys leave. He winds up running for a ton more yardage his final year at Carolina, and he drops all the way to the fifth round. And people, you know, if they're being optimistic, like, oh, he's a first-round talent, and they're being realistic, he got drafted in the fifth round. But there was a reason people were looking at him. Like, he was very productive. He's got a lot of natural talent in terms of the arm strength, good mobility, by the way. He can, like, he's a actual legitimate run threat, not like Lamar run threat, but you're – hey, if you leave an open lane on third down, he'll go pick you up a first down type of run threat. And, you know, we'll see in this enemy system, you know, very RPO-based, similar to what he did at Carolina, if he can put it together at the NFL level with a very, very talented, above-average NFL skill group. Yeah, the skill group is, re- is, is sneaky good. Like, Terry McLaurin is the guy that I use as, like, the poster child for if he – like, if you flipped him and Jamar Chase. Mm-hmm. I think Terry McLaurin produces like Jamar Chase produces, right? Like if, yeah. you, if you flip him and Stefan Diggs, like, like he, he is absolutely an elite talent at receiver who has not had elite quarterback play. So if he, I'm hoping that's what DJ Moore is for, for the bears. Right. Like I, I don't, I don't know. I think McLaurin's probably a little bit better than, than DJ Moore, but that's what I, that I look at him as like a true legit number one. No, he he's a hundred percent a legit one. Like, is he Devontae Adams? And I, I think Chase is like right up there. I think he's ridiculous. Um, him, JJ, and yeah. Minnesota. Like, if those are the top three, with all due respect to anybody else who you know, pick your flavor. I might be forgetting if you want to include Terry's right below that. Like, he is a legitimate one who is a top ten receiver in this league. And if he's playing with a uh, Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, he might be looked at as top five. He's fast as hell, and he's like. You know, he's 4-3 at the combine, but also he's got kind of what Dion used to call next guy speed. Like, I'm fa- I'm faster than whoever the guy next to me is. Like, what I, whatever that guy runs, just I'm a tenth faster. And that's, that's what Terry has. He's strong. He's a very awkward catcher of the football, so it doesn't feel like he should have great hands, but he never drops anything. He's a like a really bizarre body catcher, but he actually never drops the ball. Um, and he's, and he blocks his ass off. Like he was a third round pick. That was the best special teams guy in the draft. And he's literally played zero snaps of NFL special teams because he was so good at receiver immediately that they just didn't even bother. Okay. So there's no scenario in your mind where this is bad by design that they are, that, that they are, there's no scenario where that's happening. Okay. No. Um, Rivera is coaching for his job, like new owner. I mean, he's also in year four. Yeah. Re- year, year four of a five year deal. Like we've both been around this league long enough to know what's up there. Um, you either get the extension or you don't get year five. And so he's coaching for his job. They're not going to be bad on purpose. I mean, there's always a chance that Harris, uh, the new owner, could come in and be like, I don't care that Hal is playing like crap. Just stick with him. And, you know, Caleb Williams is floating out there and everyone wants Caleb Williams. It would be especially cool here because he's a DC kid, but bad on purpose. No. And frankly, I think they're too good. Like if they get super bad injury luck and, you know, it's December and they just don't bring guys back. Sure. But bad, bad on purpose from go. No way. Okay. Chase Young definitively not being traded. Yeah, because, I mean, I think it comes down to the market and why would you, right? If he's good, then you're going to get a third-round pick back anyway. And would you trade – I mean, Chicago is always the name that comes up. Like, what would you trade for Chase Young? I'll play I'll play Marty Herney and, and uh, Martin Mayhew. You play whichever other GM you want. Make me an offer, and I'll probably tell you no. Or right. that you're crazy, and then in which case have him, and I'll take way too much draft capital back. 
Right. So you're saying you would trade him for a second round pick. I think you'd consider it. I don't think they actually would because of like the, hey, we want to win now type of deal. Um, they'd at least think about it first. Like, yeah, see ya. Um, but at that, like who, for what Chase Young has been so far is offering a first or even a second for that matter. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't, right. I don't think that you'd get offered a second uh, right. for what he's actually produced and the fact that his contract is right around the corner. Yeah. So it, by that nature, like either he's good and you're going to get a third round pick if you, if you lose him anyway for a, com- a compensatory pick or you resign him because he's good now. Um, or you could maybe get him in a deal if he's like shows some flashes, but clearly needs more experience because he just have a, just doesn't have a ton of reps yet. So, you know, is he great next year when, you know, most guys kind of peak in that year four because they have enough experience under their belt? Maybe for Chase, it's year five and they've got him on a slightly below market deal that works out for them for the, the foreseeable future. Who knows? Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast if they are going to finish in front of an nfc east team giants most likely probably although i don't i hate the vibes in dallas man like I think losing Kellen Moore is big. Um, there's a reason the Chargers who had the best OC opening on the market because they have Herbert and nobody else who needed an OC does uh, or anybody close to Herbert. Like they scooped him up as soon as they could. And McCarthy is a guy I look at like, yeah, you won a Super Bowl, but you had Aaron Rodgers who played the position better than anyone else for a decade and you only got one. Like that's actually not a positive reflection on you as a play caller, especially. Uh, their defense is going to be great. Quinn's awesome. Um, but I, there's just, there's a, there's been a talent leak. You know, some of the decisions they've made, you know, putting more on Pollard, I think is a little funky and risky. I mean, he's 26 years old and has never been a lead back. And now this is your guy. Um, not that I'm saying they should have kept Zeke, but like you probably should have some options there. And he's coming off a broken leg. Um, you know, Amari Cooper really cost them last year. I think it's one of the most under talked about things with Dallas last year is how much they missed Amari Cooper. Cause he was their guy on third downs who made big plays and moved the chains. And when they needed something, he was the guy and they had key situations where they didn't have a guy last year. So, um, I do think things could go super sideways in Dallas and they just have a really bad year. But I mean, from a talent standpoint, no doubt it's New York, but I, I trust Dable a lot. Um, I, I was very, very impressed 
you know, borderline blown away with what they got out of that roster last year. Yeah, we're pretty aligned actually on 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 those two teams. I mean, Dallas, their odds are always high. People like betting on the Cowboys, right? But that's a boomer bust situation. And I'm not convinced that Dak is special. Like when Dak has everything go right around him, he's put up one good season. And every right. other year it's fine. It's 23 touchdowns, six interceptions, low 3000s in the passing yards. Like, but Dak has had every opportunity, offensive head coach, continuity of system. And a great O-line in front of him. Yeah. And like, as someone who's seen a lot of bad O-line play in Washington these last couple of years, let me tell you, that matters a lot. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And so, like, I just, I think that he's an above-average NFC quarterback, but the NFC quarterbacks are not good. And I think they've got a below-average coach, and they're very top-heavy in terms yep. of, like, stars. They've, 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 the top five player, right, CeeDee Lamb, Lawrence, Parsons, Diggs, like, you know what I mean? Like if you, you put the five best players on Dallas up against the five best players on every team, Dallas is coming out pretty high. But if you start going deep down the roster, I think that they've got some problems. So I assume you are a believer in Philly then in the division, even with the losses of the coordinators. Yeah, the losses of the coordinators definitely concerns me a little bit, but they also, you know, they were able to keep uh guy's name is escaping me. The quarterback coach who's now the OC. Um, so they kept him, you know, Desai is super highly thought of as their defensive, uh, their defensive coordinator. I know a lot of smart people that really like him in the league. So I'm not super concerned there. They've got continuity. They've got talent. Like what's not to like, like you can always be unlucky. You can always have guys regress. Like that's the nature of the league. There's a weird, you know, Super Bowl hangover for the loser that, that historically has shown up. But I mean, they're, they're well coached. They're super talented. They're super deep. And they also have the right kind of personalities on the team. Like they've got so many veteran leaders who are selfless and like set the tone. Like who's going to be an asshole in their locker room? Like Jason Kelsey is going to be like, no, no, you're not. Brandon Graham's like, no, no, you're not. Like they've got guys. And by the way, Jalen Hurts will also be like, no, no, you're not. And so if those are your leaders and your coaching staff is, is what they are and you've got all the talent and the depth, like how do you not like Philly? I'm with you. Yeah, I think that Hurts proved it in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs and Mahomes battling like he did. The passing game, like I I don't know that he's a top five quarterback in the NFL if he doesn't have, you know, the perfect system around him. But he does. (laughs) But he does. No, no, right. Exactly. But but I mean, like that's that's football, right? Like football Mm -hmm. is when we're trying to evaluate these players. It's you try to isolate the individual talent within the system, the supporting cast. It's such a complimentary game. It's like what we were talking about with Terry McLaurin. Like right. if Jalen Hurt, like if Justin Fields was in Jalen Hurts' spot and Jalen Hurts was in Justin Fields's, I'm not at all convinced that Jalen Hurts is a better player right. than, than, than Justin Fields. But he's got the system. He's got two legit number ones. He's got a great tight end. He's got a great offensive line. He's got an awesome defense. Like he has a hundred things that help him and he's really damn good. Yeah. They seem to know who they are and they know what they want to make that work. Right. Like 
they're a team that likes to get out on the perimeter a little bit with the run game. And so they find backs that can do that stuff. And they have the most athletic offensive line, probably in the entire league. Like it's no coincidence that Jason Kelsey and, and Lane Johnson were drafted to the same team and that their other guys can move. And, you know, they, they know what they wanted uh, in terms of their wide receiver pairings. They wanted a big target for, for Hertz to throw to, and they go trade for AJ Brown and they, took a guy who is undersized if you look at him but like has a gigantic catch radius for that size in Devonte smith and he also knows how to separate with his route running proficiency like they know what they want same thing on defense you can go down the list of attributes and guys they brought in both draft and um and free agency Their drafts just feels like, unfair on paper yeah it's like they have a clear vision shanahan's like this in san francisco and i, I have a really good insight into kind of the way kyle thinks because i'm lucky enough to do a podcast twice a week with a guy who played for him for a lot of years and logan paulson uh you know obviously chicago bears great what that one year logan paulson he was um, a great but, guest on the show thank you yeah he's he's yeah. he's great um and but he like kyle dragged him around the nfl from washington to atlanta to san francisco because he knew that like he had a spot in his offense where a tight end who just selflessly would block his face off, which is what Logan was, was very important. And, but in a much more important role, he knows exactly what he wants in a quarterback like Brock Purdy. Yeah. He was Mr. Irrelevant, but like that's a targeted thing that Kyle saw something in Brock Purdy and was like, I can work with that. You see him get McCaffrey. You see what they do with Debo, like coaches and in front offices with clear visions of what they want. And the ability to actually properly identify that talent is what wins in this league. And I think Philly is a prime, prime example of that. All right. So you talked about that, that tree, right? And it's like Kyle Shanahan and everything like that. Remind me of all the names that were on that Mike Shanahan staff in D.C., right? Because it was McVeigh mm-hmm. and, so Kyle, and so Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, and Kyle, Kyle was the O.C. Uh, yeah, and Mike McDaniel. They were all here. Um, which right. also, you know, all four of those guys yeah. are there to the floor. So go, go through the positions, what they were. So it was, I'm trying to remember what they all were. Cause they all like started in the, except for Kyle, um, Kyle had been an OC previously and kind of had to prove to his dad that he was worth being his OC. And he did with his work. I believe it was in Houston. Right. Um, so Kyle was the OC Sean, by the time he left was the OC, but in that 2012 room wound up being the tight ends coach. I think LaFleur was the quarterback's coach or assistant quarterback's coach. And then McDaniel was like a quality control guy um, for, for that run. And then they all obviously either elevated left, elevated here, left and got elevated and, and split off at varying points. Um, but also like O'Connell was here. Um, and, and there's a couple other guys that have, have kind of tangents off that tree that are. Oh, no, I mean, yeah, there's a, there, I mean, Zach Taylor is off the McVay tree. Yep. Um, um, Arthur Daniel. Smith is off the Shan- the Kyle tree in a way. I can't remember if it's direct, but like, you know, someone goes to or to Tennessee and then, you know, he's under that guy in Tennessee. And like th- these guys have all kind of combined now with what they do, various parts of it. And then they, you know, the good ones pair it off their personnel. And I think that's the thing that like, if you want to go into like what makes the tree special, it's, it's that. Right. So right, I, I, I pulled it up here. So under Kyle Shanahan, Robert Sala, Mike McDaniel, Mike LaFleur. Yep. McVay and then D'Amico had, now in Houston. Yep. McVeigh had Waldron and Taylor. Mm-hmm. LaFleur. And O'Connell um, followed him. He was the OC for the Super Bowl year in LA. Yeah. And then LaFleur, Arthur Smith, yep. Nathaniel Hackett, Luke Getze, like all guys who are coordinators or head coaches. So yep. you're, and like, 
this is like people want to hire off the tree. Like the joke was like you it, when McVeigh was the hottest thing in the world. Like you coach for, with him for one year, you get a gig. Like Lafleur right. gets the Packers job, he gets handed the keys to the Aaron Rodgers Ferrari. He had a bad year in Tennessee. One year gets that job. Like it, it was just it's the thing in the NFL right now. So why why do you think it works? Why is it so special? I think there's like a, they're very principled in in a couple of areas where it's like we're gonna be and for it's a little bit different for all of them. Kyle is like we're gonna create schematic advantages in space here. Sean might be like we're gonna use certain personnel to create certain advantages, and they've exchanged ideas throughout the years. Um, obviously, you know. Uh, my friend Jordan Rodriguez, who I'm sure you you are very familiar with her work, just did this great series with The Athletic where she got very, very deep into this on, on a podcast called The Play Callers. But the biggest thing is twofold. One, it's being able to manipulate space. How do you either vertically or horizontally create space and put good players in it so that they get the ball, it's easy for the quarterback, and then they can do dangerous playmaker things? And two, how do you use your personnel to do the same thing? And whether that's dictating matchups by, you know, hey, we're going to be big here. We're going to have a, a really good tight end and we're going to use two, three tight ends to dictate certain things. Or we're going to, you know, obviously famously, Sean ran 11 personnel, three wide receivers, one tight end, one back for basically an entire season. Uh, you know, can you use Christian McCaffrey to get certain matchups if you're Kyle and then split him out as a wide receiver and know that you're going to get this certain thing, which gives your quarterback another piece of information and that allows a much easier read. So it's using space and personnel to play to your strengths, expose weaknesses in the defense, and obviously, you know, knowing knowing the strength of, of your guys to make sure that the right guys are in the right place to exploit that those spatial strengths and weaknesses. So you work with a guy who was basically he was with Kyle for three different stops. Uh, with Logan, yeah. So he was he was here on the 2012 team, and then eventually. Uh, was with him in Atlanta, and then Kyle's first year in San Francisco, he brought him out there as well. And then you also worked, you covered I, Kevin O'Connell. Yeah, so on the beat, I covered McVeigh his last two years here, um, and O'Connell was the only other guy. Yeah, I covered, and I, I had a, that was later in my beat career. I was on the beat for five years, so it was my my fifth and final year that O'Connell was the OC here. He was the quarterback's coach the year prior. We had a really good relationship, and um, the other thing I'll say about Kevin and Sean specifically with those two is, is another like really, really impactful thing that I think will give them longevity is their people skills. Like, and that's something that Kyle has gotten better at over his career. And Logan's the first one to say like, Kyle was pretty coarse in a lot of stops and has kind of learned to manage the human side better. But, you know, Sean will text guys and, and just kind of love them up or, or build them up or the way Kevin, I think it was really, you know, well on display in the quarterback show on Netflix where, you know, he learned very quickly with cousins, like on the rare occasions, Kirk gets upset, let him be upset. He'll throw a hissy fit for two minutes and I can go talk to him and we'll be fine. But if I go talk to him while he's mad. All we're going to do is fight over the, the read and we're not going to get anything done. Like that human management goes a long way in coaching and, and not only efficacy of getting your message across, but building trust over time. And so I think for those two guys specifically, and I'm sure LaFleur and McDaniel have their own touches. Um, McDaniels is very quirky. I know that much, but I haven't covered those guys, so I can't speak to it as directly. But for Sean and for Kevin, like on top of the tactical genius and, and the understanding of personnel and 
speaking football extremely fluently. There's a, a human side to them that I think has helped their coaching careers tremendously and will for a long, long time. It's, I mean, it's, it's approaching the Andy Reed tree. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, and Andy Reed had, I think he topped out at 25% of the league was either Andy Reed or someone who coached under Andy Reed, eight of eight of 32, like four years ago or something. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's getting close. Um, but I, I do wonder with Andy's tree, if it starts to pipe back up because, and the other thing too, is like, they're all stealing ideas from each other. And I think there's so much respect in the, the Shanahan tree and really like, look, I'm not trying to give credit to the Grudens right now because, uh, you know, points at everything, but like, it's really the Gruden tree in a lot of ways. Like all, a lot of those guys started under John or coached with Jay. Um, and you know, Sean was, was a, a Gruden disciple and they took a lot from like that Gruden West coast offense type of stuff. And then, you know, it mixes with some of Mike Shanahan and what he did with Alex Gibbs and, and the running game. And it kind of becomes this really nice marriage of, of when you get back to the tactical side, the, the schemes and, and how it all plays together. And I, I think Kyle's the one who deserves the most credit for like putting it together. Um, but then, they, then they all, you know, start, you get an Andy Reed guy in one of those rooms and, and they're taking stuff from Andy and, you know, the way Andy executes the screen game, for instance, is something I know some of those guys have studied. So um, it's pretty fascinating to see like the, the cross pollination of it all. And then the other big factor is how defenses evolve to stop all of them and then trying to re-exploit the new spaces in the new defenses. Well, so that was the next thing I was going to say. It's like, this is like more X's and O's than we normally get into on the pod, but I, I, I love it. I think it's fascinating. The Bears just made like a really interesting big bet that because linebackers are being devalued mm -hmm. around the league because it and uh teams aren't running as much, it's a passing league, it's more about coverage. Teams are in sub packages, you know, base formation now is three wide receivers, four is totally normal, plus a tight end, like you know, so it's it's much more about like secondary guys uh than linebackers. But they – and they traded away Roquan Smith. But right. then they paid Tremaine Edmonds. And it threw a bunch of us for a loop. And then they paired it with paying TJ Edwards. And then you started to look into it a little bit more. And it's like those were pro football focus, like two of the top ten coverage linebackers in the league with Tremaine Edmonds like consistently in the top three because he's got like this crazy long wingspan and like not a ton of sacks – not a ton, ton of fumbles, but just great coverage, great pass defense. I'm wondering, like, what is the counterpunch? Like, are the Bears maybe right? Is it everybody on the field has to cover, but you can't get too small and just put 180-pound nickel corners out there? Oh, yeah. That's the, that's the struggle is, like, okay, fine. We're going to just put a bunch of DBs out there and hope that we can cover the space cool we'll run it for six yards to carry down your throat and demoralize you for four quarters like that's i do wonder if we're seeing a return to that and i think it's why guys like derrick henry when teams like really commit like the titans have can have these monster monster seasons because they're facing teams that are not used to that um the what's been like if you want the super nerdy version of this, we did a podcast with Matt Ryan about two months ago, like when they got announced at CBS, we, we were able to get him on. 
And he went into a ton of detail about how he saw defenses evolve over his career. I'll leave that to Matt Ryan. The, the surface level version is what you started to see is a lot of zone match. And like Fangio is, is the guy that kind of developed a lot of this. Like some of the stuff that Fangio did was with fronts to make things difficult and difficult to decipher for quarterbacks and for offensive lines when they were running it and also to align their pass protections. But it's like, okay, instead of just playing cover three, like we would imagine it on Madden with like the little bubbles and it's four underneath defenders and three over top. And it's like run to the spot in the middle of your bubble and then play defense from there. Defenses are trying to figure out, okay, based off of a bunch of information, you're probably running this ball snapped. Yep. Okay. We got you. And we're going to communicate kind of a quasi man coverage from our zones and try to match the routes. And again, it's, uh, there's a coach in the the play caller series that Jordan did that uses, uh, this phrase spatial Darwinism, which is incredible, but it becomes this like spatial Darwinism, spatial warfare to close down the space. And what Matt said is to counter that. So now that we're at the, the counter of the counter is like, he stopped trying to figure out what coverage it was. So instead of like, it's cover three, I need to throw to this guy. It's like, I'm just going to read this defender. And if he goes here, I throw that way. If he goes there, I throw this way. And I don't even know what the coverage is after I've made the throw. I just hope I, I read that defender right. And someone else didn't slide in and pick it off. And then I go on to the next down. And it wouldn't be until he got back to the sideline that he would know what coverage it was when he looked at the pictures. And even then, sometimes it was so amorphous that he didn't even know. He's like, whatever, we completed it, move on. And so it becomes this like very detailed, intricate way to play football that is, you know, for those of us watching on the couch on Sunday, trying to watch on a TV copy, like good luck trying to have any real analysis of what's going on. Um, just enjoy it for what it is and, and know that there's a lot of thought that's going into all this stuff. Yeah, that is fascinating. How much, uh, like sometimes when I watch like the Chiefs and Mahomes and Kelsey, it's very, like, they're kind of just drawing it up in the huddle. Like it's a, it's a lot of like option routes mm -hmm. and they know each other so well and they know where it's going to go. Like I, I, I wonder how much of it is like backyard football, like just draw it up, run to the empty space, and I'm going to throw it to you. Because football now is so much of it is like snap and throw because you can't really jam them at the line. It's not under center and seven-step drops and like long developing routes. I wonder how much of it really is, like you're saying, on the defensive side, matchup zone. On the offensive side, it's get off the line of scrimmage, find an empty space, and sit down, and then I'll throw it to you. No, I think there's a lot of that. And it's it's like this terrible loop of game theory. Like, okay, let's start off with man-to-man. -man. Okay, if my guys are better than your guys, I want you to play man-to-man. -man. You want to play zone. All right, so now you play zone. Well, okay, fine. Now I know you're playing zone, so I'm going to attack the empty spaces in the zone. Ha, okay, I have a, I have a solution for that. Well, I'm going to play this kind of quasi-man zone match situation. Right. Okay. Well, now you're basically back in man to man, and my guys are still better than your guys. And if I'm the Chiefs, like that's the, the case because I've got Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. And so if you're Reed and Nagy, and obviously until this year, enemy who now hopefully will implement a lot of this stuff with a Terry McLaurin in Washington to bring it full circle, I'm trying to make sure that when you play this quasi zone matchy man thing defense that a lot of teams are playing now that I get Travis Kelsey matched up against the guy I want. And then fine, yeah, I'll run the option route and trust that you know the guys who have been playing together for five years going to Super Bowls or even longer than that are going to be on the same page and make the right read and 
you know, easy, easy pickings. And there's also like games you play with alignments and things like that, where, you know, if we get in a stack and we know, I'll even simplify it, right? A lot of teams automatically check defenses if it's a four wide receiver spread, right? And they're going to play quarters coverage because it's like, oh, well, there's a ton of speed on the field. It's all spread out. Let's play kind of the safest coverage that we can. Well, okay. Now I know you've got quarter coverage. Let's attack that. Or I know that when we motion to a stack or a bunch, you're going to cover it this way. So how do I take advantage of that? Another quote from, from the play caller series that I think it was from Kyle uh, or no, it was actually from Andrew Whitworth um, who obviously played under McVeigh with the Rams. And he said, what we actually want is the defense to play their defense perfectly. And this is kind of pre all this zone match stuff. Because if you play it perfectly, we know exactly where you're going to be and we can take advantage. And so it's how do, how do we as an offense get you to do something where we know what it is and then we can take advantage of it? Or we make it so you have to do a lot of communicating and you screw up the communication and there's a huge coverage bust. And I think Kelsey gets a lot of great yards off that too, where it's you got him, you got him, I thought you got him. And you have two guys pointing at each other thinking they the other should have had Travis Kelsey. And then the broadcast inevitably goes, well, you think, you know, if you're going to err on the side of caution, they'd both just tr- cover Travis Kelsey. It's good stuff. Uh, have you talked to the enemy? Haven't had the chance to very much would like to um, have gotten some great B enemy stories because Logan actually played for him at UCLA. Um, and then we have Maurice Jones drew played for him uh, at UCLA as well on the show. So I feel like I know a decent amount about him, but haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. I want to know what like the off the record story is of like, cause it's a huge gamble to yeah. Andy Reed makes people head coaches, but he made everyone a head coach except Eric Bieniemy, but they had the most offensive success, but no one gave him credit and there's institutional racism involved, yes. but he goes to DC with a very unproven quarterback and a coach in his own right on the hot seat. Like I, I would love to know what the off the record story is of like why he left now, why he left for Washington or was Washington the only place that would take him. And then like, that's like to get us left the past tense version of the story to get us to now and I would also love to know, like, if Washington, if he couldn't get a job when the Chiefs were the number one offense, but he gets Washington to get be the 14th ranked offense in the NFL, does that get him a job? Like, like what is the the bar that he has to clear in D.C. to get a gig? Danny, I, too, would like to know all that information. Um, I can give you my best guess on a couple of things and give you a little insight. Like, I, on, I know that was rambling. Yeah. But like, but no, there, I know, mean. Yeah, like it, I don't know the answer, on right? The list for like prospective head coaches next year if Washington has a league average offense. I don't know the answer to that. I would think so, but I I mean, it's funny cuz I've pushed back on DC media people who have said this like, "Oh, if, if they're any good, he'll get a head coaching job and be gone after here." And I'm like, "What in the hell of the last 6 years or 7 years, 8 years makes you think that? Like this guy's interviewed more than anybody else pretty much in the league and he hasn't gotten one yet." So and he said, you know, the number one offense in the league, how many times, how many rings he got, and he still can't get it. Um, but now if he's, they're decent in Washington, like, ah, one-way ticket. And some there's definitely some truth to that because a lot of people give Andy the credit. And Andy deserves a ton of credit because Andy's great. Um, but he definitely, he being the enemy, was very, very involved. Um, I will relay one story that was told to me, you know, I, I'm on background, I'm not off the record. Otherwise, I couldn't say it on the podcast, but like kind of on background. Um, from someone who works in the organization who has gotten to know Bienemy. By the way, um, 
Yeah. Thank you for doing that correctly. You're welcome. Our our journalism professors at Syracuse will be very proud of me. Uh, well, it infuriates me how many <laughs> I I I I have the I say this once every six weeks, I feel like on the show, because inevitably it comes up. Someone will say, like, you know, and I was told off the record, blah, 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 blah. It's like I'm you like, shouldn't say that then. You work for the Chicago Tribune. Like. What do you, you know what I mean? Like, like off the yeah. you could, there is there is on the record, there is on the record not for attribution. Yes. There's on background, and then there's off the record. These are all different things. So go ahead. Yeah. At Newhouse SU, we get to keep our degrees. Um. So on on background, um, and this, and I'll add this this you know, important fact of who told me, um, this was a black man. So I'm relaying the story of a black man telling me this about Eric B And he said, one of the things that I think really causes Eric problems in interviews is he doesn't code switch. Like Eric is a guy who, when I talked to him for the first time, I was blown away. He's one of the smartest people I've ever talked to about football, like absolutely blown away. Could not believe the conversation that they were having. Right. But I, he's like, why doesn't, this resonate with owners and he's like oh because like we're just two black dudes talking and like eric doesn't conjugate verbs in a quote-unquote proper aka white proper english way and these rich mostly white owners like they don't want that guy representing their organization again this is a story relayed to me of someone else's opinion i happen to agree with it i know some people in the audience will think that's ridiculous they just want to win games well then why has one of the best offensive minds in the whole freaking league not gotten a head coaching job when it seems like all anybody wants is a really energetic, really smart, really engaging offensive mind. For anyone like, who doesn't know what code switching is, yeah, there's like a black dude who will talk like a black guy, whatever, stereotypically. But then right. when he's in front of a microphone, a camera, or talking to white people, all of a sudden does the Dave Chappelle white guy voice. Correct. Like, you know what I mean? Just like yeah. in, its, in its simplest terms. So you're saying Eric B. Enemy unapologetically himself – not in a disrespectful way, but just in a oh. he is who he is way. So if he's interviewing with Jerry Jones, he doesn't talk different to Jerry Jones than he does his left tackle. Right. He's just like Eric. Eric is who he is. He's incredibly bright. It's not a it's not a, you know, intelligent thing like he's freaking sure. brilliant. And just because he doesn't speak in the same way that these owners do or in a way that I think more aptly that are just, just as importantly that they are ever hearing, like it's just completely foreign to them. Yeah. And when they think about what leadership is, they think about themselves and like on some levels, sure. Like some of them are successful business leaders and whatever, and they've had whatever level of leadership success in their own lives. And that's why they have billions of dollars. Others inherit it. Others, you know, there's, we could talk about billionaires, but that's a different podcast. Um, you know, they, they don't see themselves at all in this guy. And that is why they won't hire him to be the most important person in their organization. And that's stupid because Eric could crush the job. But to your other questions of like, what will it take? I do think if they finish top half, I do think if Howell shows growth, I think if a guy like McLaren becomes even more of a household name, like it goes from like, hey, the guy you should know about to like the guy everyone knows about. I think that that will all propel Eric beyond where he was, where a lot or in Kansas City, where a lot of people wanted to give credit where it's due to Andy and to obviously Mahomes. Uh, but you prove you can do it without those guys and you start to get the credit too. 
Craig Hoffman, check him out. This was good, man. What's the name of your podcast again? Take Command. Uh, we're two times weekly right now. Go up to three during the season. So looking forward to that. And then I got the, the old radio show, too. Yep. If you're in D.C., Team 980, Take Command podcast. Follow him on Twitter, at Craig Hoffman. Thanks for coming on First and Pod, man. Thanks for having me, Danny. And uh, have fun uh, getting back to your normal rhythm with your uh, your normal guy in this box on the screen next week. Yep. Pony's back next week, and uh, we'll get back to our normal stuff. Thank you, sir. See you.